I was drawn to the senior level uh, work because I have a passion for leadership. I know that great leaders make the difference in an organization. Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax, and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. This episode is powered by JVentures, a community-driven VC fund in Silicon Valley and is sponsored by Hillel Stanford, UpWest, and Hippo Insurance. Hello, hello, and welcome everyone to episode 168. We have with us today Jeannie Clark, Director of Executive Recruiting at Google. Jeannie is currently a Director of Executive Recruiting at Google, where she leads non-technical executive recruiting as well as diversity for leadership hiring and internal mobility for senior Googlers. Previously, she was a partner at Spencer Stewart and co-founded and led their global diversity practice for 12 years. She is the host of the Fifth Dimensional Leadership Podcast and is the author of Career Mapping, Charting Your Course in the New World of Work. Ginny Clark, thank you for being on my show. How are you? I'm doing great, Michael. Thanks for having me. No, no. Thank you for being so generous with your time. I really, really appreciate it. It's also very early. Uh, so, so I really appreciate uh, you taking the time for this. Ginny, uh, I can't wait to, to learn all about, you know, your, your leadership experience, your staffing experience, and, the, and the, the non-linear route that you took to get to where you are, and, and the, the things you're passionate about, especially you know, diversity in, in leadership and in recruiting. So, so Ginny, why don't you take us back to, to the early days? Where do you come from, and, and how do you get to be a, a leadership staffer at Google after doing so many different other things? Sure, I'm happy to. It's uh, it's kind of an interesting story. I've told it many yeah. times, but I never get tired of hearing it, actually. So I, I hope your audience will appreciate it. I grew up in Riverside, California. I wanted to be a veterinarian, so I went to UC Davis uh, to study animal science. And after a couple of quarters of studying that, I switched to French and then literally flipped through the catalog to fortify that. And so I landed on linguistics. So I got a degree in French linguistics. I'd always been very active on campus worked in the chancellor's office, peer advising, counseling, all that stuff. And I took a job at the university at UC Davis um, as a recruiter, recruiting for the University of California system. Did that for two years. And my dad really wanted me to go to law school. Um, my brother did that, fortunately. So I went to business school <laughs> and I went to Kellogg. I moved to Chicago. Um, people, you know, as a Californian, people were like, why would you do that? It's cold. I'm like, because right. I want to see something else. <laughs> you got their coats for that, right? Um, I had the best time at Kellogg. I was on their admissions committee um, as, a, wow. as a first year student. Um, I worked in the admissions office. I was very active. And then when I graduated, they actually offered me a job in admissions, which is, you know, kind of like recruiting, right? And I said, no, 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 I have to go into business. So I went into banking at what was then called First Chicago. It's now Chase. Um, I spent a couple of years doing that. I got exposed to commercial real estate and pivoted into commercial real estate with what's now JLL, used to be known as LaSalle Partners back in the day. Um, I did that for a few years, um, went over to Prudential in their real estate investment management arm. um, And then my dad died in the early 90s. And that was one of those defining moments where I just questioned everything about what I had been doing. And he had been, I had amazing parents, both of them, um, but he was really my coach He'd call me every Sunday morning and, and cheer me on. Wow. And um, so after he passed, I just said, you know, what is it that I've always really loved to do? And I neglected to mention that when I was working for these other companies that I actually went on site to recruit for them. I was not a recruiter, but that's what I offered to do. And so I, I write, uh, I wrote a book called Career Mapping. And in the book I write, I left breadcrumbs for myself. And so I went back 
and said, I want to be an executive recruiter. Um, I went, I networked my way. I was pretty good at it. And I networked my way into one of the largest executive search firms, Spencer Stewart, and was there for 12 years um, and um, became a partner, uh, co-founded Leather Global Diversity Practice, worked in financial services and financial officer practices. And um, I left in in 2009 to write a book wrote my book, did consulting. Meanwhile, I have a son. <laughs> I got married, had a child, divorced. Um, so I've been a mom through all of this and he's the light of my life. And so I, I did my own thing for a number of years, about four years. And then I went back, I had to get him through college and I wasn't getting that Spencer Stewart salary. So I decided to go to another search firm that was in Canada. This, this is where it gets really interesting. That firm sold after about two years. Um, but one of the people that I had recruited and worked with, uh, when the company sold, went to Google and ah. in 2016, he called me and said, we need help because Google had recently formed their internal executive search firm with people that I knew, including so just, Jenny, just to, for, for the, for context, when you say search firm, is that a company that is dedicated to helping recruit people for, for others, a search firm? Yeah. Yes, a search firm at the executive level. So it's not like an agency where we're trying to place people. It's quite different. Right. We are, it's it's much more like management consulting where um, we get paid a pretty hefty fee to work with big companies, mostly large, sometimes small startups, um, but to find senior leadership talent. Um, so so what, the, what is the difference between finding, of, right? So what's the difference between an agency that just, that places people in, in, in all sorts of positions versus, you know, finding leadership talent? What, what is yeah. the difference over there? Well, it's, um, it's much more of a, how am I going to d- describe this tactfully? <laughs> I don't, I don't want to impugn any other agency, but at the leadership level, most of the people are passive. So it's not as though people are applying for these jobs. Um, we get a mandate, we go out, I would call on big companies in the Chicago area and all over the country um, to say, you know, I understand you, you might be looking for a chief financial officer. Um, and so we'll spend time with them to understand, well, what does that mean? That's not a one size fits all. And we don't just post it and wait and see who applies. Right. But we specifically do research to identify what are the other companies that are relevant? Who might those, the, the correct people be for us right. to consider and we go after them and woo them and pull them in. So it can be a lengthy, you know, four to six month process, sometimes much longer, um, to find those senior executives. And that's what we do inside of Google as well. No, so I, I guess it makes sense because they, then these are key people that are that are you know they could be a make or break for the company. A, a, a right. good hire may help the company. A bad hire may may break the company, especially this especially the C level and above positions. So so you, up until that point when you were when you were at the two search firms, were you the one going and and getting that mandate? Okay, we need a new a CMO, and you're going out to the market and saying, okay, let me go pull in the right candidates and, and until we can find the right one for you. That's right. I did both things. So um, it's professional services. And so, but as I mentioned, like in management consulting, you have to go get the business. You have to find the client and then manage the client and then manage the engagement with the, you've got a researcher, typically sometimes an analyst who's doing a deep dive. What are the companies? Who are the people? What do we know? Who have we spoken to before? Um, This person might be great in a larger organization versus this one might be better in more of a startup. Um, you know, that, that's got, that's got a build to it. So it's, one thing um, that I'm assuming though, is that C-level executives, especially the ones who are, you know, 
right at the, at, the, at the top of the ladder, they don't go on LinkedIn and say, I'm looking for my next opportunity, right? They're in a um, great opportunity right now. I, I, I might be wrong, but it sounds like, you know, some of the gems are people that are not, that are already have great positions and they don't even, so they're not actively looking and you have to sort of understand if they're, if they might be interested, right? That's exactly right. And it, when I started in the business, LinkedIn was, was, didn't exist actually. <laughs> so um, now we do leverage it because there are people who will kind of let you know, I'm looking for my next opportunity or conversely people to reach out to some of the executive search firms. I had lots of people that would come to me and say, Hey, I'm looking for a job, which if I can pivot just so slightly on that point, um, that's one of the reasons I wrote the, this book career mapping. It's because uh, it concerned me that so many people would come to me as, a, as an executive recruiter. Um, search firms are working, they have an exclusive on whatever that role is. So it's mm. meaning it's not a multiple listing service. So I'm not getting a view of all the open roles for a CFO. Okay. Right. It's whatever my company might be working on. So it worried me that people would think about it that way. And I thought, you know, if I could help folks understand that they own their careers and that they should really be the ones um, not just going to me as a recruiter, right. but them determining what they want, then leverage me and others to help get into that role, into that company. Amazing. What, what is like the hardest challenge of all of this? Like the most difficult part of this job? Um, you know what it is? It's getting my clients. I have clients within Google or when I was at Spencer Stewart, some of them, you know, my clients to really do an assessment that is based on competency. Because a lot of people want to just default to, well, have they done it in another company? Right. They might have done it really poorly. And no one wants to say that. Right? Yeah. Um, but it's my job to tease out how well did they do it. And so I ask competency-based questions. And so it's not just, did you do it? Tell me how you did it. Give me an example. But then how do you but then how do you evaluate that if you're because you're coming into all sorts of different businesses, right? And I'm sure that within Google as well, there's all sorts of different, you know, areas which you're not an expert and you're an expert on leadership staffing. How do you go in and help them map out the competency questions and evaluate objectively the candidates? There must be some interaction with the team that's hiring, right? Oh, totally. Yeah. And that's a great question. At Spencer Stewart and within Google, we specialize. So at Google, I lead the non-tech team. So I have okay. people who specialize in finance, in marketing, in sales, okay. and that's all they do, right? Wonderful. So they really do get to know the senior leadership market. And we stay in the market um, identifying who is top talent that we want to get to know to the extent we don't already know them and have a relationship with them. It's a relationship business much more than it is. Of course. Brokerage. Yeah, definitely. Talk to me a little bit about your expertise in, in diversity uh, staffing. It's also something that you're very passionate about. Mm -hmm. what, what, what does that mean to you? Um, it, you know, a lot of it goes back to that competency assessment, because I think if, if you think about it, corporate America was not open to women just not that long ago. Right. Um, it hasn't been with Black Lives Matter. I think we've realized that a lot of black and other underrepresented um, racial minorities um, have not been acknowledged. We haven't always had some of the educational requirements to get in. Um, and so it's important to me that talent is being assessed fairly. Um, and, and it's, 
And that's really the cornerstone of my efforts. And that's the infrastructure that I've sought to build within Spencer Stewart um, and, and even at Google. That's, that's really what it is. And people kind of, you know, they look at me as an African-American woman and kind of say, oh, well, you must know a lot of Black people. You must know a lot of Latinos and, or a lot of women. Um, and that's not the point. It's not who I know. It's, who, yes, who I can access, and I know how to access, but I would much rather teach my recruiters how to access all of that great talent, right? So it's not just, because that's pretty limited. I can't know everybody. That, that, that makes no sense. So to the extent I've got specialists, and that's what I've been able to do at Google and at Spencer Stewart, was to build the infrastructure that says, do your research, and I insist, our clients insist, within Google and elsewhere, um, that we are showing them a diverse pipeline of talent that is relevant. Okay, to so, so, so that, I think that's really an important point. This idea that you're showing them a diverse pipeline of of talent, and right. uh, which feeds then into the decision. But then, how? What, what's? What are the the roadblocks in the system right now? What What are the bottlenecks that, yeah. that are making it very difficult to to have to do this properly? Because obviously, with Black Lives Matter and and everything that's been that's been surfacing this year, there is inequality. And I'm sure that in, in most areas, it, the pipeline, the, the top of the funnel is still doesn't have your diversity. So what, so what, where is the bottleneck right now? Um, some of it is in identifying people. And I, I want to believe that my recruiters are doing a great job. Um, and we, we have metrics and tools to monitor that. I can go in and see, are you meeting talent pool, right? We have mm-hmm. to kind of know you might say, for example, um, I think black people in the United States are roughly 12% of the population. Um, based on a lot of the senior leadership roles that we are seeking, that's not going to be our bogey because we're requiring that people have a certain level of education, a certain level of experience. So, so the number is going to be smaller. I won't tell you what it is, but it's smaller. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, it makes sense. But we still have we're, to identify in that talent pool, we're trying to get to. Um, a level that makes sense at a minimum, right? Because that's right. going to ensure that's got that's going to give us a better level of certainty that we will indeed increase representation over time. The bottleneck is really one of changing hearts and minds. And so this is I'm just going to be real about this, right? We, I can build the best infrastructure, identify all these people, put them in front of all of these hiring managers, but if they have it in their head because they haven't seen a person who looks like me, doing what they do during their experience, it's hard for them to kind of believe sometimes that person is going to be as good as they need them to be. And so we're really trying to overcome some of these latent beliefs. I'm not going to say these people are racist, but I am saying that they've got some deep down, it's this notion of unconscious bias. Um, so how, so, so now more generally at a high level, how does the, how does the ecosystem deal with that? Because it's not just, a, I'm, I'm sure this is something that's recurring with every company. And I, again, yeah. I don't think that it's, it's, it's necessarily that these, that people are racist. It's that people have deep rooted, you know, th- that through the years they grow and they're watching certain personas do certain things. And then even sub, and then subconsciously they have a cognitive bias that when they're looking at a few candidates, they'll prefer the ones that they're more familiar with that, that looks just a little bit more like them. Right. Yeah. Like what they are familiar with. Right. So, how, so at a high level, doing, how do you tackle that? It's a part of what we're doing is really try to build in some of the safeguards. So, you know, my recruiters are trained to challenge them to the extent that they have done the competency assessment and they are convicted that this individual right. is indeed qualified. Um, they ha- I have their back to go in and say, I got to challenge you. Right. There are other fail safes along the process. 
um, from the the HR business partner to um, you know my senior uh, people who are trying to monitor all of this. And so uh, we're doing the best we can. And there's a ton of training going on for a lot of these hiring managers and all these other people who are the people, the other interviewers, right, who are doing the work. They're not professional recruiters, but they're part of the interview team that might be working with and for the hiring manager. Uh, we're doing lots of training for them to understand not just competencies, but this whole notion of unconscious bias. Well, so you've obviously been in, in several industries so far, and you've had various various positions that, that we spoke about earlier. Why, why go into senior leadership staffing after all? Like, wh- where does this passion come uh, come from? Give me, give me that brief from, from the book that you wrote. Yeah, well, I, you know, I think it comes from watching my dad, you know, he was a prison warden and I watched a lot of uh, young people that were under his, in, in, were incarcerated um, and because he was with the youth authority. So a lot of these people were as young as I was at one point, right? And, and I saw the potential in them and I saw how there was systemic racism in, in our justice system that was causing some of them and they made bad decisions. And so I think there's, there's a little bit of that in my mindset that says, I see the potential in people. And so I've always wanted to be able to um, unlock some of the potential that I see. I was drawn to the senior level uh, work because I have a passion for leadership. I know that great leaders make the difference in an organization. We've all right. worked with not so great leaders and we've, you know, we felt it personally and we've watched the organization um, suffer. That might be an overstatement, but not perform as well as it could by virtue of the leader, right? We, we're seeing that in government. Um, so I think yeah. that, that that's, that's the other linkage that I have. I'm really, really passionate about leadership. And I think leadership has a lot of different forms. And that's part of, um, part of the passion that I have around being an executive recruiter and helping my clients see what good, better, and best looks like, even if it doesn't look like them. I love it. So as I as I go on my own entrepreneurial journey, and a lot of my friends who are watching this, as they go and we and perhaps we form a companies and businesses, and we'll have to choose the right people to go on this journey with us, whether it's at the start or at the end. What are some of the key insights that you've gained over the years? You know, assessing thousands of candidates for senior level positions. What should I be looking for when I form a partnership with with my co executive directors or or chief financial officers in the future? What, what are some things that I can you know, as a bad recruiter that I am right now, what, what, what are some key things that I can keep in my mind that, that you've already learned? Well, here's a, a real basic one. Um, don't just tap your network. Okay. Don't, because I think that's, that can be really limiting. It's, and, and frankly, it's a little bit egotistical to think that I know everybody who's good. No, you can't possibly. We live in a vast world. Right. And right. Whoever, whatever you're building, you know, you should be able to tap people in other countries. Um, talent looks like everything. They're brilliant people all over the world. So make sure that you have a real talent mindset and you appreciate and understand people. You care about people, the value they're bringing, the uniqueness that they're bringing. That to me is really critical. Um, and then more, more tactically, when you're assessing people, look for things like one of my, one of the most important things that, that landed with me after a couple of years of being a Spencer Stewart was self-awareness. Mm. Um, you know, I'd hear a lot of people saying, I did this, I did that. And, and they were telling me what they did, but again, they weren't telling me how they did it. How they and did they, it, they, right. They seemed a little tone deaf in terms of, you know, it was all about me. Um, and then in contrast, I would talk to people who 
they would own the the leadership and their, you know, they held people accountable and they were able to talk about their role in driving impact. But they also talked about the compassion, the empathy, um, the awareness that they had for other people, the awareness that they had for some of their own shortcomings. That's really attractive to me um, because right. that to me is, is at the at the heart of what true leadership represents. I love it. Ginny, uh, 20 minutes go by so fast, but I want to thank you for being so generous with your time. Before we leave, I have to ask you the most important question. I need three words that you would use to describe yourself and and, okay, why, and, and why you chose those three specific words. Okay. And I was a linguist, right? So words really matter to me. <clears throat> um, Wonderful. I'm going to go with bold. Um, I'm, I'm pretty fearless and bold. Um, much like my father. I think I got that from him. I am Amazing. kind. Um, I have a tough exterior, but people who know me know that I'm really, really kind at heart, big heart. And then the last thing I would say is um, awakened. And by that, I mean, I have a very deep and personal spiritual practice. And I'm, I believe that I am, I, maybe I should say awakening. You, you never, you're never done, but I've done a lot of work to understand who I am, what my purpose is in the world. And I want to bring that into everything that I do. I love it. Is there room to be to have good optimism regarding diversity and leadership in the country over over the next uh, the next I guess decade or so? Yeah, I wouldn't do this work if I, if I wasn't optimistic. I mean, there are bumps in the road, but I think we are. I think Black Lives Matter, for example, is something that is here to stay. I think there's an awareness that there's a lot of work to do, but I 100%. think those of us who get it and and are convicted will see change. Jenny, thank you very, very much. This was inspiring, uh, truly. Thank you uh, for your generosity, for your time, and uh, continue doing the amazing work that you're doing. Thank you, Michael. You're, you're a gem. I really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. 